This is Paul from the Wise Man's Fear, and you're listening to Interview Under Fire. Thank you so much for joining our podcast today, Interview Under Fire. You know, this is a big month for you guys. I'm going to start off with the obvious. How are you guys doing? How have things been for you and your band as of late? And how has a lockdown been, you know, in Indiana? Dude, thanks for having us, man. Um, things have been pretty good for us, to be honest. Like, we we can't really complain. Um, most of our members have already been working from home since before the pandemic began. So it was not too rough of a transition, except for our poor bassist, Thomas, who uh, he goes to IU, Indiana University, and they shut down the campus. So he got sent home and he's not having as much fun. But um, yeah, all things considered, we're doing great. And it's been an exciting month for us just with singles coming out and then prepping for this album release that we've been building towards for the past three-ish years now. You know, excitement. That's like a key word I want to throw in there because that's (laughs) not probably the best term to throw around like because you have to find yourself to you know find something to be excited for and you know it's it's good to have you know an album release looking forward to it and i want to get you know i want to touch on valley of kings in just a bit but you know being stuck at home like we all are i'm stuck in my friend's house you know for a good reason (laughs) of course you know and being a drummer you know how are you keeping up with your drumming is it do you live in a place where you can just go all out and play as much as you can without the neighbors going crazy yeah. I'm sure it's different for like vocalists and guitars, but as far as a drummer, and I love having drummers on the show because it's a whole different world for you guys when it comes to being in this position. For sure. Dude, yeah, I'm actually, I'm super fortunate. I've got a house with my business partner here in Indianapolis. We're in the Broad Ripple area, which is like north end of the city, but um, can't see it, but just off camera, I've got a little electronic kit in my room that I'm playing on to keep myself from going insane. Um <laughs> But then also I have two acoustic kits down in our basement. And actually up until the pandemic hit, um, we've been hosting shows for bands in our basement. It's sort of been like a basement venue for the past like year and a half ish um, called the Penthouse Penthouse, uh, which we're going to have to be shutting down here soon, unfortunately, just because of insurance issues. But oh, um, man, it was fun while it lasted. But we had I don't know if you know, like Bill Murray and Red Handed Denial and Seraphim. But we had some like um, some cool acts down there. Uh, yeah, it's it's just been a really good time. But, you know, that said, it's pretty sound dampened. There's a lot of like panels up and um, so I can play the acoustic kit. I just haven't been recently, so I don't absolutely drive my housemates insane while we're all trapped together for the foreseeable future. <laughs> so would you consider that kind of like a live venue you have, like a small venue that you guys actually own or owned? Yeah, for legal purposes, no. But uh, <laughs> yes, in practice. So the way we've we've run it is actually this is sort of uh, a direct externality of us playing shows on the road uh, with the bands that we're involved with as bandmates. Um, you know, we've just played so many cool DIY venues over the years. And Indianapolis is not, it's not like a drought as far as venues are concerned, but there are really about three that you can actually play that will um, sort of permit and promote heavy music. And it's been really difficult at times, uh, just, you know, depending who the promoter is and what the bill is and uh, just sort of like, you know, playing into the local scene to even get shows um, in your hometown, which has been frustrating. So I when I moved in this house a couple of years back, we sort of started these plans to form this venue, bought a PA system, soundproofed it. And then we would just do a donation based system um, so that people would come in and, you know, if they can donate five bucks to the touring band. Awesome. If not, like just have fun with everybody. And yeah, dude, it's it's been super great. We've we've had some pretty packed shows. Um, but it's facilitated a really good environment for us as a band to practice as well and to just sort of stash all of our gear and 
have an environment that's, you know, like you were saying, it's not going to blow the roof off the house just because a little bit of acoustic treatment goes a long way on a <laughs> concrete basement. Is there anything the fans can do to help you guys out as far as that is concerned for the people who are listening, you know, about the the venue that you guys did gigs in? You know, there are a few nonprofit organizations and one I want to give a shout out to Neva. They're actually I don't know if you've heard about this. Yeah. Man. So they They've actually. Yeah. Um, you know, unfortunately, one of our most popular venues here in Dallas, the Gas Monkey, which I, you know, work with so many artists, they just closed down, you know, and it's a very popular one. Dang. So. So I don't know, like, is, is there something you can maybe, you know, uh, plug in for the fans to maybe help you guys out as far as that is concerned? Or do you have anything set up? Uh, regrettably, like the issue, it's it's always been nonprofit run here in um, at the penthouse penthouse. But unfortunately, the issue we're running into is there's an umbrella insurance policy that covers our home as well as my business partner's parents home because they are on the deed with him. Um so basically, it just came down to they were advised by their insurance company to not let out-of-town bands be playing and stuff just because, you know, if it, if somebody did, you know, fall, hit their head, or, like, even get in a car crash on their way home from a show or whatever, um, they uh, could yeah. potentially sue, you know, family for their assets rather than just the housemates. So it's it's sort of out of our hands, but it's all right. You know, like, we had a, we had a good run with it, and um, we got a lot of, like, a whole photo wall of memories that we get to keep, so... It's a good time. <laughs> well, I mean, who knows how things are going to turn out after this pandemic. It's just, just so much uncertainty. Yeah. And, you know, that, that's really where we're at. We got to take it day by day. When you're talking about day by day, this is the perfect example when it comes to 100%. being in that predicament. Now, does this pandemic, you know, we're talking about being at home and uh, trying to get busy with the things we're getting busy with. Does this open up new things for you personally and artistically that may you have not noticed before? Mm. Good question, man. Um, actually, I would say yes, and I think I think my bandmates would agree for the most part. We've we've just had more time and fewer uh, expectations on our time to devote toward writing stuff. So, for example, we've written a bunch of demos for LP4, uh, written written a bunch of like concept stuff for the fourth record, um, but then also just in terms of promoting rollout for the album. Uh, it's kind of, you know, it's with every with every weakness, there's an opportunity, right? And every um, strength, strengths and threats are correlated. It's so, you know, taking what could be perceived as like a terrible threat to an album rollout and saying, OK, what's the opportunity in here? Well, it's the fact everybody's, you know, caged at home, sort of desperate for new content. How do we market to that? You know, we've got extra time to do, you know, sort of online promotion, um, you know, really hit the ground with ads and everything like that. Um, but then also just from a writing standpoint, yeah, we've, you know, we've been really trying to hit the ground running, uh, because this last record took a really, really long time to put out. Um, we don't want that to happen again. So we're being really proactive about this next record. Well, let me tell you, it's been on repeat on my system for the last <laughs> like week or so. So I think you guys did, man, when it comes to progressing, uh, you know, the fan of me just want to say, I don't want to say, I think you guys reached like, a uh, like just to tap into a different part of the wise man's fear that you have never tapped in before and when you talk about writing already uh, a concept writing for the next album i'm already getting excited so i, I <laughs> you know i don't want to you know we, we got other stuff to talk about but that, that's great i love that you guys are keeping yourself busy of course it's a challenge and what about um you know other artists say they're busy with like oh man cooking you know i've, I've never thought i'd be cooking for myself mm. the last two months you know is there something yeah. you guys, is there something that maybe, you know, Paul maybe have stirred up or something like what's on the menu today or 
maybe going yeah. live streaming, cooking with Paul and the fans like tuning in or something like that. We so we've actually this is a conversation we had with Sharptown a few weeks ago. Is they essentially used our band to uh, spearhead their Twitch efforts. They've had a channel that they built up and became an affiliate, but they're just sort of looking for an excuse to start it. So uh, we've we started doing some live stream stuff, uh, just sort of general Q and A. But then also something um, our guitarist Cody, vocalist Tyler, bassist Thomas, and I we've all been playing so much Call of Duty Warzone. It's been a little bit disgusting. <laughs> That's um, great. <laughs> Yeah, man, dude, it's been a freaking blast. Uh, yeah, we were just talking before you started recording, but yeah, I've been staying up like way too late most nights. Um, last, let's see, it wasn't last night. The night before last night, um, two of my housemates and I got three first place victories in trios in the span of like two hours. We're like, oh no, we need to do other things with our lives. This is getting a little bit depressing. It went from like, oh yeah, we got one to like, oh man. <laughs> Um, so picking up like video games and looking at streaming more, I think all the guys and I have been uh, going going at that. But then also um, at the house, I'm super fortunate. I've got uh, just a group of awesome dudes that I live with. Uh, my business partner, his brother, uh, one of our best buds, Zach, and then my buddy Phil from college. And um, we played like this massive game of global access and allies, which is <laughs> like risk on crack. If anybody has uh, never heard of that, it's just super insane. Uh, but we just wrapped that up the other night. And yeah, man, we've been we've been keeping busy. It's almost one of those deals where it's like, you know, not looking forward to the workflow going back to normal when this is all said and done, because it's actually been kind of a nice little breath of fresh air in terms of, you know, like I was talking about, like schedule expectations and the way the world has been, um, you know, go, go, go. You have to respond to emails immediately. You have to pick up phone calls as soon as they come in. That's sort of been relaxed a little bit. And that's really been a, a good change of pace for me. With the live streaming that we just mentioned, now this is a very popular topic of discussion that's been on my show for the past, gosh, since we first started this. Now, bands that I've spoken to, they have talking about taking initiative on Twitch, um, Instagram Live, Facebook Live, what have you. Um, there's also another uh, website, I think it's called Stage It. Have you heard of this website? Where, you, where um, I, I think you can do live streaming shows on there. Um, yeah, yeah. I've seen some I, live live concerts from bands like that, yeah. Right. So now these bands that were, to, you know, that are actually doing the live streaming shows, you know, Insomnium, Code Orange, you know, like some of these are actually going to live streaming venues, like empty venues and broadcasting yeah. it for the fans. Now, this is an important one for me because I wanted to get your intake for a band that's, you know, a, your third album. Do you think as an artist, the quarantined induced live streaming surge that's going on right now, do you think it's going to affect the touring musician business going forward? Do you still see bands doing this even after this is over? I think, in my opinion, people will continue to take advantage of it at a higher level, but I don't think it's going to impact live shows in that you'll see more people trying to do live stuff to catch audiences' eyes. But I think the reason that live shows... Because I, I think we could have made this argument from when YouTube first became, like when they first started supporting 720, you could have said, uh-oh, like, is this going to kill, you know, concerts for people because you can get a camera crew out there now and really commit it to uh, yeah. legacy through the internet. But I, I think um, it's it's opening up this avenue for a lot of people who hadn't previously considered it as viable at all. And they're starting to see the merit because of, you know, the things that they're watching and the things that they're experiencing. But I think if anything, it's going to build a momentum behind the eventual return of live shows because there, I feel like there's so much pent up uh, energy and um, sort of the um, just people missing live shows so badly that 
this almost is just contributing to that. People want to get out there and actually experience it, um, be able to flail around and not just sit at their computer monitor, I think. So yes, like we're doing no. right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's it's interesting because it's I get so many different answers, and that's a great answer because it's different. If if I were to see you know a wise man's fear in front of me right now, as opposed to seeing you guys, you know, on the screen like you were just talking about, and let's say you do a festival here, or I guess I should say festivals in Europe. Festivals are more common in Europe. Let's do that, and let's sure. say someone someone in the U.S. doesn't have access to you know uh, a show out in Europe. And mm -hmm. you could sell a digital ticket to them. Right. You know, it's just so many ideas you can bounce off from. Another thing that's very eye-opening to me is market saturation. Let's say all these bands are having cooped up writing all these lyrics. When this is all over, you can have all this new music that yeah, that's dude. gonna that's gonna be filling everything up at the same time. Venues will be booked to no end at, at oh, the same time. Sure. You, and at the same time, you don't have venues to book into. So uh, does does that ever cross your mind when it comes to after all this is done, what is going to happen? Or are you just kind of just, you know what, I'm not going to think about that right now. We got an album release coming up. Let's focus on that and then go from there. Um, a little bit of both. I think like I will I'll speculate about what's going to happen. And I agree with you. There's going to be a huge resurgence. Um, but I don't know. I try to only occupy my mind, like we were saying, one day at a time, just figuring out the things that I can have sort of uh direct impact on and you know whatever is actionable for me um but yeah i i don't know it'll be it'll be interesting to see um oh yeah so, uh, it, i think we could almost experience something akin to how the you know post-world war ii we had like the baby boomers erupt and you know everybody came back from war had a bunch of babies like i think we're going to see a home recording revolution of that <laughs> where it's just like everybody's been sitting at home writing writing recording recording and then uh, you know, two months from now, there's just going to be like so many records coming out. It's going to be absurd and really hard that's, to cut through the noise. That's probably the best analogy I've ever heard. That's that's perfect. <laughs> I mean, that I mean, that that's a great, great point. What about the albums? You know, you have a new album coming out like right around the corner. Mm -hmm. Did that also cross your mind? Maybe pushing the album release further because bands have done that. You know, Lamb right. of God, Enslaved, um, you know, uh, there are a lot of other bands that maybe have been impacted by the pandemic when it comes to sticking to the release or moving it back for sure i remember it was like a big deal when august burns red because i'm pretty sure they decided to just stick with their original release date and everyone's yeah. like whoa <laughs> that you know kind of blew a lot of people's minds because you're right everybody um there was there's some big band and i can't remember who it is somebody in the like arena metal rock crossover genre but it was basically saying like, what's the point of putting out a record if we can't tour to support it yeah um but I, I kind of have the opposite viewpoint. And this could be in part because something our band is focused, uh, I would say, primarily on is um, creating good internet presence and utilizing the internet as much as possible. But, I mean, we, we even talked to Sharpton about this, and they were like, yeah, I mean, we were worried at first. Currents has their record coming up um, in June. And they're like, we were worried that there was going to be a big dip in sales, but we decided to go ahead anyway. And they're like, it's been the opposite. They've had more than expected pre-sales in, you know, I, I think it goes back to the combination of people sitting at home, wanting new content, being on social media more than ever, receiving the branding and receiving the advertising for those records. Then also like the stimulus package, anybody who wasn't like very hand to mouth and like needed the stimulus package to live, they're like, well, I have some extra money. I might buy like a pre-order that I wouldn't normally buy. So a lot of like weird market factors in play. So I think maybe it's polarized spending habits, but as far as we're concerned, like, 
all all of an artist's revenue for the most part in this day and age is going to come from either Spotify or touring merch. And um, we haven't we haven't toured as heavily as most artists of our, uh, I guess, tier. I would I would say genre or. Yeah, and yeah, just yeah, like okay. listener base. I think there are yeah. people that have fewer Spotify listeners than us that tour a lot more. And part of that's just due to where we are in life in terms of like um, balancing work life and uh, geographically even, you know, how often can we get together and everybody devote a few weeks to go out. But um, yeah, we, we're viewing it as like, okay, how can we really just push Spotify to the next level and push, you know, Apple Music and Deezer and see opportunities in you know even some of the less popular streaming services and really uh, kickstart something out there using all this extra time that we have down that we can reach out to play as curators that we can you know bounce ideas off the label and so forth. You know now I want to talk about the Valley of the Kings because now you're you know talking about utilizing Spotify releasing mm-hmm. new music. This is your third album, you know, with uh, and this is this the first or is this the third straight with Sharp Tone? This is our first with Sharptown. So we've we've done two independent records leading up to this. So it's kind of uncharted territories in a way. Well, when it comes to uncharted ter- uncharted territory, you had a one producer that you work with, Johnny Frank. I know you yes. I know one of your interviews you talked about him. This is your third album with him since 2014 and you talked about how he understood the sound and he understood the collaboration of um of six of you guys in one record, you know. What mm-hmm. is it like working with him? What is it like working with a producer knowing that like, you know, you're sticking to the producer. Is it a sense of, I guess, uh, a sense of, uh, I guess, you're comfortable, you know, that you're that you know where you want to be with a producer. And I guess talk about how the experience has been working with them on three straight records. Dude, awesome question. Um, yeah, dude, it, it has been such an overwhelmingly positive experience. Um, you know, we we didn't really know what to expect when we first went to him. We kind of chose him based on the attack you know, acclaim and a couple records that he had done in the year or two leading up to when we first tracked in 2014 and it sounded good. So we're like, okay, like, let's do it. Um, But, you know, it turns out so, so much of the success that a band has with a producer is the chemistry between them and the willingness to like learn and try out suggestions from one another. Like it has to go both ways. And he, I think maybe by virtue of being in a band in the past, he's very, very receptive to criticism. He doesn't take things personally um but he's like able to communicate and collaborate with multiple people but he's also able to be like hey guys shut up nathan is tracking why are you like not now (laughs) Um, i mean third third album he's like oh third album you guys should know by now or something (laughs) like that (laughs) pretty much dude um no but also just like this stuff that he's created with bill murray i think is a great testament to how agile and creative his musical mind is as well you see him snap genres back and forth uh pretty fluidly like there's just it's really like a fun mental exercise is to try to put like one genre on bill murray like a comprehensive label and it's just really not possible um but yeah in in beyond that we've just become super close friends which you either become close friends or bitter enemies after spending you know in total it would have been about 60 days between these records so each each record will devote roughly two days per song over 11 songs so it usually would come out to around 20 days but you know locked in the basement with him we'd sleep in his basement we'd wake up work in the basement and um half the time we'd go grab dinner with him afterwards but we became such close friends that like you know nathan and i text him most days we just stay in really close contact we're you know best friends at this point and um again that has helped the communication pathways to be as open as possible and that's that's really the cornerstone for a good record is 
um, you know, you want to assume everybody's got the practice in, they've got the skills sort of down. The thing that takes a record from being like decent to being phenomenal is just all about um, producing. And that is just a communication stream. So yeah, it's man, nothing but positive things to say about Johnny. He's, he's been uh, an absolute treasure to work with. <laughs> you know, it's a sense of consistency is probably one of the more challenging things when it comes to a band sticking with someone they're, they're comfortable with and mm-hmm. i've seen bands i've known bands who actually go from one producer to the next and at the at some point they're like okay let's produce our own record you know and then it just it just kind of which works for them that's fine it's mm-hmm. really nice to hear that an artist like yourselves found a producer that you guys have a consistent basis when it comes to relationship sound musicianship that's great to hear i love hearing that and, and i think it's i think it'll be great for you guys going forward Dude, absolutely. And it was so refreshing too to experience that because I think in the industry you hear a lot of horror stories, whether it's from a label's impact on a band sound or it's a producer, like you said, they change producers and either their sound changes or whatever the case may be. It was just refreshing to find somebody who got what we were doing. Like we explained the concept for Castle and we explained what we wanted to do. Um, but he was he was really hugely instrumental, especially on that first record of like, you know, helping us sort of come into our own and discover our identity. Um, cause honestly he should start a label. If I were him, I would probably start a label because he, he gets band development on a level that most people don't under, like most labels don't understand, I would say. Um, so yeah, it's, it's really cool working with him and just watching his mind work in all these different directions. Well, shout out to Johnny Frank. You gotta, gotta give him some props right there. Now Absolutely. let's get to about, I know we're 20 <laughs> minutes into this podcast, you know, but <laughs> I want to talk about Valley of Kings. Excellent record. Now, Fantasy Core, is that what you would say you describe yourself? I hear that name thrown around a lot <laughs> in the fan base and, and, and your and your band. Yeah, dude, for sure. And actually, it's kind of funny. I've, I've told this story to a couple people, but there was a moment back in like 2013 or 14 when we were writing for Castle and we sort of had the idea. We're like, what if we like call ourselves Fantasy Core? Because we kept trying, you know, you'd have relatives ask you, so what kind of music do you play? And it's like, oh, you Fantasy know, kind of like. <laughs> yeah, we're, at first we're like, it's modern melodic metalcore with uh, fantastical lyrics and elements of medieval instrumentation. It's like, just became such a garbled <laughs> mouthful to try to <laughs> describe. So we're like, what are we doing? Metalcore. How are we doing it? Through fantasy. It's fantasy core. And it, you know, it just was the concision that we needed to get the point across to someone who had never heard of us. But also, we sort of have a philosophy that is, like, as musicians, the most dangerous thing you can do is to be forgettable. So, the, you know, if yeah. if people remember nothing else about us, um, you know, we want them to remember, oh, they call themselves Fantasy Core. Like, I'll at least see if they stack up. And even if they hate our music, like, you know, we want to pique the curiosity and hopefully win some people over um, by describing what we do to them. And if that sounds like something they're interested in, they can just catch that based on the name. Well, case in point. What what genre did I bring up to describe you guys? Fantasy core. So the name <laughs> exactly. sticks. I think you guys should stick yeah. with that. Now Absolutely. I want to throw I want to throw one name at you, Patrick Rothfuss. Mm-hmm. Now, okay, <laughs> I made you want to spit out your drink. You can't. You can't like, <laughs> I was gonna say you can't just call upon my deity and <laughs> not warn me. Yeah. I have to talk about this. So absolutely. Talk about his influence on yourself as a person, and you know, I guess five the other five of you guys. You know, how did that come about when you guys decided? this is what we want to write about. This is one of our main influences, you know? And, and I know his first, first book, I can't remember the first book. It was, um, the name of the wind. Yeah. Yeah. And then, and then, and then the New York time bestseller, which is, you know, the wise, the wise man's fear, which, you know, contributed to your 
band title. So explain the relationship that you guys have developed within yourselves as a band, like coming up with this band name and how an author like Patrick has been such a big influence on you. Dude, absolutely. I first read those books at the recommendation of my good friend, Dr. Tom Craddock, who I'll All right. tag in this. Um, super smart dude, super high standard for epic high fantasy. So uh, I knew it was gold upon recommendation, but he sent he sent me that series um, and I read it and it just changed, completely changed my perception of what could be accomplished with a fantasy novel. Like I had always, I'd read a lot of fantasy growing up. That's kind of my uh, favorite genre for pastime reading. And it, nothing had ever hit me like that, just in terms of the prose of the writing, the narrative voice, the stylization. It was all there. It was something that I was like, like I'm getting more out of this from a writing and a craftsmanship standpoint than I get out of like a classic. And I, I just couldn't believe the world that he had built and the way he was delivering it, um, all with this sort of intrigue that plays into how the story is being told, which is a whole conversation onto its own. But that I started reading those books in the first like two years that I was in college. Um, and that's right when we were trying to figure out what we wanted to call the band. And at the same time, we were writing what became Castle in the Clouds. And um, I, I had started writing lyrics for it because Joe actually used to be a guitarist. And then he switched to vocals, right. not last minute, but like, you know, at some point during the writing process of that record. Um, so I was just coming up with some lyrics to try to match to songs. And I was like, hey, like, if it's cool with you guys, what if we just run with this sort of Pilgrim's Progress style thing, uh, storyline? But it was the, the, the like the feel of it and the tone of it was very inspired by what I was reading. And I've, I've never read anything like The Wise Man's Fear where I read it and I just want to go write something. And like, doesn't matter if it's music or like, you know, a short story or whatever, but it's like he makes me want to write stuff. And so it just seemed like the perfect uh, sort of homage to him to use the name to describe fantasy metalcore. But then, you know, also we kind of repurpose the name to be a statement against the destructive power of pride. So the sort of like Socratic uh, principle there being the more you know, the wiser and more knowledgeable you get, the more you realize you just don't know anything. So the, you know, it's the dichotomy of like, if you are wise, it's virtually impossible to be prideful. And anybody who's prideful, it's like almost guaranteed that they're not really wise. So that's kind of where that bridge formed. Uh, so, man, there's so much I want to talk about based on what you just <laughs> said, because it's interesting. It, I think that's amazing that an author just made you guys want to. This is where you guys are, are right now, because just the influence that an author can have through, yeah. you know, his work. And I feel like you've given that novel like just bigger depth just with your songwriting and with the sound it's now you're just missing a movie man i mean that dude <laughs> this, no, this, we, why not just put it all together we should, and I we don't should wanna... be so lucky and you talked about striking a balance within the songs that you write and you talked about three elements mm-hmm. and you, you did your freaking homework man <laughs> now hey hey man this this is the fan within me so i was like i said i was really excited about all this you know arc of the story one that. and then mm-hmm. self and self-sufficient you wanted the songs to represent themselves and then the third thing, which you just talked about, how, how it's putting into the real life experience. Do you think you guys deliver that exactly how you want it to? And do you see fans taking in it, taking that in the same way? At risk of sounding cocky in light of what I just talked about, um, I, I personally think the stuff that we've written has held up in those regards. So, And I think the, the litmus test for me, at least, is I can go back. And if I listen through Castle in the, in the Clouds, like the whole record... 
there's not a lot of stuff that jumps out where I'm like, oh, like that's super cringy or oh, that like aged like milk because I'm not seeing that person anymore or because, you know, this circumstantial thing that I got riled up about isn't a force of my life or I've gained enough perspective that, you know, like why was I, you know, whatever. I think a lot of records that I hear in the genre tend to be really temporal and almost like emotional lashback at life events or at relationships quo status quo changing staying the same whatever um but i i honestly think like for our stuff uh both musically and lyrically looking back like i don't regret anything and i don't know that a lot of bands can necessarily say that so um yeah i i think honestly like it's a huge team effort to make it happen but i do think that the songs succeed in that regard that they have sort of the triad of uh, meanings that are being delivered and yeah I like them. <laughs> Who said that it was uh, Journey of the Center of the Earth uh, meets Lord of the Rings? Was that you? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, and with a tragic twist at the end with yeah, this third dude. album, is that what that is? So it's, that it's one's like, dark. <laughs> I love that. That's great. And, uh, you know, you talk about the first record you had, I think you had like Hearts and like Gregorian Chants, and it was like, you had that classic medieval vibe. The second one, Lost City, we haven't really touched on that much, but, you know, you talk about it had a King Arthur influence. Is mm-hmm. that true? And had no like Egyptian stuff. side of things. <laughs> yeah. Hey, yeah. we're gonna do another interview, man. This is gonna be just one of the follow-ups. I'm all um, in. Yeah. And then, the, and then the third, you talked about like it, it all coming together, and I believe it was a triad of earth, sky, and water. Is that mm-hmm. what you? So, how do you feel? You know, you guys did choose songs of you know what went wrong and relics of the of the of the Nilex. Is that how you say mm-hmm. it? Yep. Yep. You know, why did you pick those songs as singles? That's a good question, man. Um, relics. Relics was sort of an easy choice for a first one for us because a there's so much story motion happening in that song, which is also why I got a music video. That, you know, similar to how in our second record, Black Root Forest was our first single. We're like, this is really central to how the story is being set. So let's use this to deliver sort of the first taste, to everybody. But also, um, kind of as I touched on a bit ago, a lot of times people's perception of a band when they sign with a label, the first comment of the first thing that they then put out on YouTube is going to be rise records made these guys go soft like these guys are radio rock now like i can't believe that the label told them how to live their lives and um that could not be further from our experience with sharp town like dude they have been so freaking supportive of everything we've been doing like we even had it we called we had like an hour-long conversation with the owner sean when this all started and we explained fantasy core to him and he's like i love it that's awesome we're moving with that um and just explained you know our writing process and he's like we're like, so do we like, do you, we're about to go to the studio. Um, you guys are funding this. Do you want rough cuts or like, what's the revision process like? He's like, I don't want to hear it. Literally just send me the masters when they're ready. <laughs> like, I don't want my perception to be skewed by an unfinished mix. I just want to hear the songs when they're done. And we're like, okay. And so they, they were so laissez-faire at, for the whole song recording process that, um, yeah, we just got to have all the, all the creative direction that we wanted. And that was, that was amazing. Okay, wow. now that you brought that up, so yeah. I, I, before we go talk about Valley of the Kings a little bit more, we had Currents on our show uh, a couple mm. weeks ago. I, I talked I talk to Brian. Dude, well done, man. And so Brian talked about a very, uh, just just praise about Sharptone. Mm. Now, Sharptone, what I'm seeing is that they're being just a perfect example on, of how labels should be run. Is that what you're seeing too as well? Because, you know, they helped Currents. I believe they're a big part of why currents are where they are right now. And I believe it's just, yeah. a, it's just another benefactor of how showing how Wiseman's fear is showing from where you guys started to where you guys are not like it's giving fantasy core, even just even more boost being with someone like Sharptone. 
and I know you have a lot of amazing amazing things to say about them, but is how do you feel like as far as like a labels are? I feel like they're really they're really oh, setting dude. an example for everyone else out yeah. there. I I think the most telling thing in that regard is that a lot of the bands that are on my my Spotify list that's like the 75 songs I actually want to listen to anytime, a lot of those are sharp tone bands. So they're doing something right from a recruitment perspective, but also as you'd mentioned, Currents, they've fostered, uh, you know, Alpha Wolf, like signing Crystal Lake, that won them so many yeah. points in my mind. I was like, they like they just sing talent, they're fostering it and they're delivering it in the right place. But I think a lot of the root cause of that is Sean was one of the co-founders of uh, Sumerian Records back in the day. So Sean runs Sharptown now. Um, but before that, he managed Born of Osiris for like eight years, or maybe this was a j- or concurrent with that. But and then even before that, he was in a touring band. So it's like he understands wow. the industry. He understands bands. And it's not like he's trying to capitalize on them. It's like this dude is excited about the future of music. And he can he sees what he could do to shape it. And he's... Just like he's there for the ride. You know, he wants to support artists. Um, he wants to really push stuff out to the kids who want to hear it. So I think that makes all the difference, ma'am. Yeah, I think it was important just to bring that up because Sharp Tones, uh, it's a big year for them. You know, it's, they're taking yeah. advantage of this opportunity and um, the sky's the limit for you guys and that label. Now, I'm going to get back on the album now. You know, Valley of Kings, you talked about mm-hmm. the um, one thing that I loved about this album. And it's about characters that are based on cornerstone philosophical worldviews yeah and uh i think it's is genius what you guys did when it comes to songwriting i mean it's you and who else is involved in the songwriting along with you do you literally everyone is okay okay yeah involved, yeah but yeah because yeah. this is the most collaborative album of For course sure. out of, from the other two now the purpose of these characters were to create now I'm going to quote you on this. I think I think I'm, I believe I'm <laughs> quoting you. The, create commentary on the pitfalls of certain philosophies on why they may not work, showing yes. that those characters themselves are not perfect. Could it be? Could it also be different traits inside someone's head? Dude, you're inside my head right now. So <laughs> <laughs> I'm just um, curious because as I'm reading yeah, the yeah. lyrics, I'm like, is 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 that what they're trying to aim for? Because that's what I would. That's what I felt. Yeah, man, dude, uh, very good pickup. Like that—that that was something we initially were playing around with, like a doing seven deadly sins, like each character is a sin, but that just felt stale and overdone. And it was like something about it was good. There was a, you know, there's a nugget of gold somewhere in there. But that became okay. Each character represents a worldview, and it's sort of left open ended throughout the record because so. This record is man versus self is sort of the central conflict type, whereas uh, Lost City was man versus man. Castle was man versus environment. Um, So it's sort of left open ended to the listener to determine whether, you know, you have these five warriors and, you know, they sort of some of them meet their ends in different ways and, um, you know, are killed and die off. And, you know, some don't. But, um, you know, it's it's not made completely clear if that's those actual people going and living and dying or if that is, you know, the conflicting. Yeah, like, you know, you just said it, but like the, the philosophies that are fighting back and forth internally within one man as he's experiencing life and sort of trying to figure out, you know, what works, what doesn't work and why. Do you feel like you're growing along with the songwriting you're doing? Are you, of course, is it, you know, what I'm saying when you when you write something. Yeah. You feel like you discovered, just unlocked a different top part about your mindset on how you approach things. 
For sure, dude. And actually, so with the with Castle in the Clouds, I very much so I was a creative writing minor, and I approached that record as awesome. Like, Let's write a story, and but that's cool. Like I again, like I said, I don't regret anything about that record. I think it works super well. Um, but it also serves as a springboard into growth as a writer and specifically as a songwriter because that was totally new territory for me. I know the other guys had had experience, you know, writing songs and committing lyrics to stuff. Um, but it was something new to me. And so with the Lost City, it sort of became, okay, well, rather than like, you know, basically instead of mirroring Pilgrim's Progress and how do we turn that into a fantasy medical record, like how do we take two separate sort of sets of mythos, combine them and produce something that's, you know, even more original set in the same original universe. Um, and so that was a new challenge in that regard. And then for this one, it's been, you know, okay, we're taking a book, we're taking a movie, we're taking, you know, freaking like comic strips and soundtrack inspiration. We're just, you know, making it all into this one mangled story that's maybe happening inside a guy's head, but is maybe, you know, a quest of these five warriors and just really, you know, pushing the limits. So it's, you know, every record, I feel like, you know, at, together we're all learning skills and then we're building on top of them and we're taking inspiration and we're building on inspiration. So, um, yeah. And the dude, LP4 is going to be freaking bananas. We were just talking concepts the other night and I, I think we're locking in on an idea and it's going to be pretty sick. <laughs> Man, I think, dude, all you're missing is just writing a movie script, you know, just just get the, just get that in. Like you're, de- yeah. you're developing all these <laughs> Uh, all these just just talented songwriting and just different metaphors and different life viewpoints that you're just putting it all into one very you know I guess exceptional art you know you're putting it out for the people to Thank hear you. and you're actually conveying that message in a very productive manner which is not easy to do man especially when it comes <laughs> to fantasy core you know and you, of course you're striking a nerd like me that's you know you know I'm I'm in that target Dude, that's audience, that's but... like goal though is like I don't I don't want to write. I don't really want to write songs for a group of people. Like we've had this discussion as a band. It's like, dude, I just want to write stuff that I am so into in that, like I would be so into. And why isn't there a band that's writing about battles? And why isn't there a band that's like, has a made up universe. And so it's like, let's just do it. Because if I was, you know, if I was, had never heard of the band and I heard about that, I'd be like, heck yeah. Like finally, you know, someone's doing that. Why not? So I mean, think about it. If someone, if someone were to search, uh, the Breath of the Wild gameplay, like your song is going to come up there. You know, it's just, just an example. It's they're gonna, it'll be on the twenty thousandth page of Google, but it will come up there. <laughs> Let's fans are listening. Just go to YouTube and just search it up once once the song you know once the release is out, and then you'll see what yeah. I'm talking about. Have your aspirations as a person or a band have they changed or evolved since when you first started? Do you see things differently now? For sure, man. Like Joe and I have had this talk a lot. Our harsh vocalist when we started we just wanted to make an ep like play five shows and get a facebook page that got like 100 likes and we're like then we can throw in the towel it'll (laughs) that'll be like really fun um so it's it's one of those deals where um i i've heard a lot about the drudgery of sort of growth which is you know like oh once you reach the top of the mountain it's like it's not that exciting and then there's always another peak but it's like from from our perspective that's super exciting like we dude we have been able to accomplish and like we have not done anything crazy we're not like a big group by any stretch of the imagination but we've blown our like our very small expectations out of the water and that's so fun man it's (laughs) there's like there's a calvin and Hobbes strip that basically he tells his mom that or he tells calvin tells Hobbes that he's been sandbagging his grades to his mom by like well if she expects d's and i get a c then i knocked it out of the park and it's like 
Uh, that's I feel like that's kind of our approach to goals and expectation setting is we're like, hey, let's be very realistic, conservative, realistic about what we can accomplish. And then it's like if we surpass that, that's awesome. And um, yeah, we also we don't really set that many super hard and fast goals. It's a lot of, um, you know, I guess like the closest example is like right now, bucket list thing for us. We would love to play overseas really anywhere. It doesn't really matter, but it's like, you know, that would just be so fun and like with that group of guys, just the memories of a lifetime guaranteed. That would be awesome. So and that's, you, and that's, you haven't played overseas yet. Is that correct? No. Yeah, we haven't. Um, but you know, one day we want to try to do that. Um, but yeah, and it's, I think what I love maybe most about this band is everybody is just in it for the right reasons. And like, everybody loves the music and you know, we're best friends and it's, you know, it's just so much fun. <laughs> so yeah, our, our goals have changed a little bit, but the way that we set them has kind of stayed the same. Yeah, can you imagine like all the fans, like the like all the fans overseas who are nerds like us? Like, just imagine the outreach <laughs> that you guys would get. But of course, you know, it's it, it'll it'll work over time, you know. And I think you For guys sure. are doing the right thing and on the right path. Do you have a favorite song off the album? I'm gonna go with Forest of Illusions. Tyler and I, that's kind of both of our favorite. And I I can't really put my finger on why. It just has maybe the best like climactic point of any song on the record towards the end of it. Um, it's like Grey King did this for me on the last record. On this one, it's Force of Illusions. But also there's this cool little like zither break or dulcimer. I can't remember which one it ended up being. But um, dude, it's just like a kind of subtle layer at one point uh, right before the song goes to a little pre-chorus situation. But yeah, there's just like a lot of, a lot of stuff that's subtle in that song that all amounts to, in my mind, it's like a you know, perfect track. Now we're reaching the end of this podcast, unfortunately, but of course I'm going to bring you back again because this was Dude, just a great absolutely. conversation. Yeah. Now I'm I'm going to put you on the hot seat in a second here, all right? Uh-oh. As if I, you weren't on the hot seat already. <laughs> so if it was up to you, this is not the hot seat question, by the way. Okay. If you had, if you had, uh, what would your favorite artist to collaborate with? Who would that be if it was up to you Ooh. that you haven't collaborated with? Ooh. Anybody? Um. Dude, I would love to do something with Cove Reber, the vocalist for Seosin's self-titled record. And we Okay. Uh, dude, we tried, we reached wow. out to him because we wanted to have a clean feature on this record and it didn't work. Hey, plug out. it in. Go ahead and plug it in shout out. There you go. <laughs> plug it in shout out, baby. <laughs> um I and I'm sure all the guys would have different answers, but for me, I think if we could do something with Cove on Cleans and he does harshes now with Dead American, which is super duper cool. He's been he's uh, a huge, huge force on me musically as an inspiration and an influence. And yeah, one day I'd love to do that. I think that would uh, that'd be one of those things where it's like, you know, sort of out of body. If you do something like that, it's like, whoa, (laughs) Cove knows who my band is and he's saying on the track with us, you know. And we will tag him on this. So let's see what yeah. happens. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, who, who are your influences? You know, you, you're a drummer for the band. You know, it's not every day you hear that drummer is one of the main songwriters for the band. Who are your your influences just in general? I love Make Them Suffer. As far as heavy music goes, I think they're kind of the pinnacle. Uh, and they, they had for music what Pat Roth has had for fantasy for me in that I read the description behind some of Sean's metaphors and some of his imagery in Never Bloom and I was shooketh as the youths say I it it just like flipped my world upside down um 
that yeah. just opened up a new venue for me because we're actually planning on having them on our show soon. So, uh, so uh, that's actually interesting. Uh, that's very interesting. Interesting to me. That's awesome. You you have to ask him about the Lord of Woe trajectory. <laughs> Lord of Woe trajectory. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, since you're being a songwriter, I'm gonna see if you know your own songs. Oh, I'm gonna call out some lyrics. <laughs> I'm sure you know them. I'm sure you got them. I get sure. so many. I get so many different answers. Some artists are like, "Oh no, I'm not gonna get any of them," and they get all of them. And then it's yeah. it's the opposite the other way. But uh, <laughs> I'm sure you'll get them. So I'm just gonna call out songs. You're just gonna name the name the song. Mm-hmm. See what it's from. All right. I just picked some random lyric. This is the hot seat question. All right. This is the hot seat. We'll get we'll get a sound bit here. Hopefully. Hot seat. All right. Wear a smile that's held open by an iron hook. See shadows and traces of death everywhere you look. Forges of Fire, baby. Yeah. You already knew that. So Dude, that, that I think that song might have the meanest lyrics of anything we've done. And Nathan wrote the instrumentals to that. And it just, dude, it, it's such a ripper of a song. Dude, I just love reading your lyrics just out loud. You know, it's just, it just like, <laughs> it's just great to say. Like, it has so much depth, so much character. And that, you, again, dude. goes again goes back to you know, the characters that you actually um, produce in the song. So, genius. Now, Thank okay, you. moving on. Try seeing things uh, try seeing things through another's eyes. You don't have to lobotomize to open someone <laughs> else's eyes. I love, I love reading this. You have become a <laughs> spice. Dude, that is uh, Wrath of a Gentleman. Yeah. Baby. Yeah. Yeah, that was one. We made a pivot on those lyrics because that was something that would have become cringy like over over time i'm very glad that we made some last minute adjustments to that verse <laughs> hey man no regrets dude just yeah i'm, yeah. Proud, I'm proud of the work you have so well thank that, you that thank goes you. a long way for myself okay i'm throwing for a loop here i've turned everyone against me and i've learned it was a great mistake and how long must we live like this how long must this doubt persist that's the river in the rock and that dude nathan and tyler I think Tyler wrote most of the lyrics for that one. Um, there were a few spots okay. that I collaborated with him, but that one pretty much belongs to him. But I love that track, dude. That one, that's one of my favorites. <laughs> yeah, I love that song. All right. Uh, I fear there is no cure for this. Lethargy wrapped narcotic bliss. No shock that can awaken me. No force to break this apathy. Vitality. Man, see, you're doing great, man. You were like, was like, I'm not gonna get this. I was worried. I was like, man, I haven't, I haven't looked at these lyrics at all. (laughs) All right, this is the last one. Uh, And here, I had just quit thinking of you, and here, your name was finally nothing more than a sigh of the breeze, sigh on the breeze. Oh, dude, Um, dreamscape, which I confused with the moonless night. I was getting worried. I was like, (laughs) (laughs) like, this is the last one. Don't fail me now. Yeah, those first two records both have like a soft, sad song, and I always get the titles confused. But awesome, that's a dude! Boy. You get a six out of six. You know what's funny? We usually we call this interview on a fire because before we started like doing all this podcasting, it was called interview on a fire because what would happen is if we do this interview in person, you would be eating chicken wings with hot sauce, and each question we ask, we go a level higher on dude. the hot sauce level. So first two feet, where that, you at? <laughs> now, now, now listen up. So, so, um, having said that, when you guys actually, you know, come back on touring, come to Dallas, and Bro. we would love to bring all six of you guys in. Let's do yeah. it. That'd be so fun. <laughs> Can you imagine? Like that, that. So we just uh, stuck with the name <laughs> "Interview Under Fire," so everybody just loves saying it. So anyway, for the listeners who don't know, that is a story behind the name. We will bring those back. 
And Paul, why not be our first guest, man? Bring the bring the entire entire dude, crew in. If we make it to Dallas, we would love to. That would be freaking amazing. <laughs> awesome, dude. Any last uh, you know, shout outs or any plugs you wanna you wanna put in before we end this thing up? Um, dude, shout out Sean from Make Them Suffer for being down to do guest vocals. That was awesome for us. That was uh, a super trip. Joe has a tattoo of Make Them Suffer on his forearm, so it's very full circle to get him on a track with the music video. Yeah, um, yeah. Shout out Sharp Tone. Uh, shout out anybody who has been following us since Castle. Like you, my friend, you are a freaking champion and a national treasure. Hey, you are a national treasure. We all gotta, we all gotta stick together during this time, man. And and here we yeah. are doing, talking about what we're passionate about. It's it's artists like you, Paul. You know who gave me the reason to do what I do. So you know. Kudos Dude. to you guys and kudos to the music you, you guys have. Now, um, everyone who's listening, this is important. Valley of Kings comes out May 29th on Sharp Tone Records. Support these guys. Uh, you know, they will be back on the road as soon as you know. And everyone who's listening as well, uh, you can listen to this podcast on Apple, Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, all major podcast streams. Paul, thank you so much for coming on the show. I can't wait until we talk again. And... Well, I'll see you next time, man. Dude, thanks so much for having me. Let's set up a round two soon. This is a blast. Hey guys, thanks for listening to Interview Under Fire podcast. If you guys liked what you heard, please subscribe and share our channel. And please leave a five-star review as that helps us tremendously. And also, if you guys have any questions or comments, you can find us at Interview Under Fire at Facebook or at Instagram. Or you can write us directly at schwag at interviewunderfire.com. That's S-C-H-W-A-G at interviewunderfire.com. Or Rezablade. That's R-E-Z-A-B-L-A-D-E at interviewunderfire.